the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed, it is. Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Appreciate the opportunity. It is a Tuesday, the 19th morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2022. And we've got a packed show for you today, packed with information, packed with great gas, all kinds of great stuff. Uh, they were looking, we are looking forward to bringing to you today. Let me just lay it out for you here at the outset. Hour number one is going to be free, guest-free, that is. All three hours are free today, by the way. Huge sale. All three hours are free on the air. Uh, guest-free in hour number one today. Then in hour number two, we get uh, we get busy. Art Thompson is going to be joining us. Art Thompson is at uh, 1010. He's uh, one of the longest-serving members in a variety of different roles at the John Birch Society. He's going to be a guest speaker coming up at uh, Medina County Friends and Neighbors. Uh, and our uh, our friends, including Dakota Sawyer and the Monday Night Roundtable crew, uh, have set it up so that we can talk to Art this morning at 1010. we got a lot of very important things to talk about with him. At 1035, Shannon Burns, <clears throat> Strongsville GOP leader, State Central Committee member uh, is going to be joining us to talk about a big event coming up here at the end of the month in promotion of the August 2nd primary, or uh, yeah, primary for the um, 
Ohio Senate and Ohio House seats that are up for grabs, as well as those state central committee uh, posts, which are so incredibly important in choosing the leadership of the ORP. Uh, the Dems have the same thing, but I don't care. I'm not concerned about that. What I'm concerned with is bouncing Republicans who act like Dems out of leadership positions. And I know that's what Shannon's goal is, too. So we'll talk to him about that coming up at 1035. And then at 1110, this one is going to be interesting. Lisa Logan is going to be joining us. Lisa Logan wrote a piece that ran in Jack Windsor's uh, Ohio Press Network that I just uh, had to bring around to talk about. Uh, it's about the social credit system that is coming. That social-emotional learning and the emergence of ESGs uh, in order to track and score social and emotional learning, it's setting the stage for a future social credit system, which will be used against you if you don't score high enough. And it's kind of complicated, but it's worth the discussion. So if you have not paid attention to social credit systems, uh, this is what the social justice movement has been pushing for. This is what the wokesters have been pushing for, for a very long time. You're going to be given a score based on your level of wokeness, essentially. And uh, anyway, Lisa Logan is going to be talking about that. Lisa is uh, the social-emotional learning advisor to the Utah Parents United organization. She's also the host of a YouTube channel, Parents of Patriots. I'm surprised that hasn't been canceled by YouTube yet. So we're going to talk to her at uh, 1110. So we've got three great guests, important issues all. Art Thompson, Shannon Burns, and Lisa Logan are going to be on the program today. And as I said, since hour number one is guest-free, you can be the guest that fill this hour at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers will bring you right here. Got some good messages, by the way. I was previewing the messages on the sound-off button overnight. And uh, I've got a few good messages that have come in over the last couple of days uh, that I'll be sharing with you as well. So if you have, are not yet used to that, if you haven't done that yet, just don't forget. It's alwaysright.us. That's the webpage, alwaysright.us. Go to the sound off button on the top right-hand corner of the page. It's a big red button. You can't miss it. It says sound off, and then you click it, and then you um, click record, and then you record your message that you are sounding off about, and then you click stop, and then you click send, and it'll come right to me, and I'll play it on the air. I try to ask you to keep them under a minute. The most recent one that I have here is 151. That's a monster. That's a lot of time in radio world. So uh, I'm going to ask you to try to keep it under a minute. Uh, it just works a lot better that way for the flow of the show and so that other people can have their views heard as well. Now, before we get started with the top news of the day, I'm going to ask you to stand as I do each and every day. As a patriot, face your flag if you have one. If you don't, that's okay. But put your hand over your heart and think about one. How about that? If you are a Biden voter who believes in transitioning to a non-clean energy and bankrupting millions and millions of Americans while doing so, well, then you don't have any idea what freedom is or what that flag represents. And you can go ahead and have a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback while the rest of us stand and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Super quick start today. I just, um, I just feel like we need to, um, I don't know, pat ourselves on the back, I guess, a little bit. Um, Salem, me, this was just, I, I, I didn't even know there was a 
competition. And maybe there isn't. Maybe this is just a story. But whatever it is, we won. There's a headline in the Washington Times that I read last night as I was preparing for today's show. And it says, Salem Media crowned as conservative champion. Salem Media crowned as conservative triumph. Salem Media uh, doing some things there. Yeah. um, This is uh, the Washington Times, Monday, July 18th. None other than the Hollywood Reporter once declared this. How Salem has quietly become a a giant in conservative media. The industry publication made the statement three years ago about conservative powerhouse Salem Media, which owns 100 radio stations, leading conservative websites like Twitchy and Town Hall, not to mention podcast networks, a 24-7 news channel, the major publishing house, a video-on-demand platform, the Salem's Influencer Network, geared for young conservatives and other outlets, all concentrating on conservative and faith-based content. There are, in fact, 3,100 affiliate broadcast outlets now airing Salem's programming. Its stable of talent includes the brilliant Dennis Prager, Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Charlie Kirk, among many on camera or behind a microphone. Things have only gotten more expansive. When it comes to conservative media, it's impossible not to see Salem's giant footprint, wrote Kevin Casey, executive editor of Talkers Magazine, a news organization tracking talk radio. Executives at Salem believe that because of the firepower it has built as part of this infrastructure, it is able to expand and grow into new areas of influence and provide the necessary backing for those ventures without relying on outside parties. They believe that that's becoming increasingly important due to cancel culture's attempts to suppress anything conservative. And the secret of success here? It is refreshingly direct. Salem's leadership enthusiastically embraces the concept of American exceptionalism. Can you dig it? Yes, as a matter of fact, I can. American exceptionalism, that America is unique in human history, is a place where no matter no matter your social status, your ethnicity or religion, your country of origin, the American dream is available for the taking. That from Edward Atzinger, who founded Salem in Talkers Magazine. Today there are ideologies conspiring to tear us apart by promoting identity politics under such euphemisms as critical race theory. Salem is committed to do all that we can to counteract the forces that would tear us apart. And we have created a company uniquely positioned to achieve that goal. Can't believe I timed that up the way I did. How about that? Uh, That, again, from Mr. Edward Atzinger, the founder of Salem Media. If you want more information, says the Washington Times, you can reach out at SalemMedia.com. That was... uh, that was just a great thing to see. It, it just—it's nice to—it's nice to be noticed. It's nice to know that the efforts that you're making have been, um, you know, have been uh, uh, people have been paying attention to. 
that, that it really may be impacting people. And that's what we try to do, seriously. Everything that we do at Salem is geared toward that American exceptionalism, uh, that, that unity, that uh, rejection of identity politics, that rejection of the social justice order of things in which people are ranked based on how they look. Uh, it's that it's that belief in meritocracy. It's that belief in working your hardest to get what you want rather than blaming others for whatever your problems might be. It's that belief in faith. It's that belief in religious liberty, that the First Amendment exists, so that you can practice your religion without being canceled, that you can practice your belief without being canceled, that you can believe in America and her history without thinking that she is systemically oppressive. Um, it is. It's what we do. It's 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 why I'm so proud to be a part of this company. And I, I'll be honest with you, it's been almost eight years that I've been a part of this company. And uh, I wish I had spent my entire 25-year career here. I've never been happier. I've never been more satisfied. I've never been more uh, fulfilled in the mission that I have than being a part of this. And, uh, wow, just uh, thank you to the Washington Times. Again, I don't know what we were crowned with because I didn't know there was a contest. But whatever it is, we're winning it. And I'm very, very happy about that. All right, it's 919. Before I get into the um, follow-up to yesterday's lead story, which will be today's lead story, and that is the disgusting, repugnant, reprobate, reprobates, I can say that very easily, uh, in the uh, Democrat Party and in the leftist movement that are livid that more people didn't die inside that Indiana mall. They are livid that a good Samaritan hero with a gun stopped a mass shooting before it got completely out of hand. They're, they're, they're very frustrated. They were really hoping for a lot more dead bodies and another chance to come after guns. And now that somebody with a gun stopped the shooter from, from creating more carnage, uh, the left has turned their anger and their ire at the hero. I'll explain the rest of that story after this. Always Right Radio, 1420, The Answer. So yesterday we led the show, as a lot of people did, uh, after the the dramatic events that unfolded in uh, Indiana on on Sunday. We led the show with the story of the good guy with the gun doing what good guys with guns do. Stories that never make the news, usually unless they're public, and uh, you know a potential mass shooting is wiped out uh, the way this one was in Indiana. Most of the time. Good guys with guns who stop criminals from from victimizing them, them their families, uh, even strangers or neighbors or whatever. They don't make the news. And this one will disappear from the news in short order. That's the reason I'm bringing it up. Because this, this should not. Gun control advocates are angry that the man who shot the Indiana mall shooter dead is being labeled a good Samaritan. Gun control advocates... The, the filthy, repugnant, uh, far-left Democrats who want to take your guns from you, they're livid. And we told you they would be. They're livid that this individual, the shooter in uh, Indiana at the shopping mall, only was able to shoot five people and kill three before he was shot dead. That's not going to get them the headlines that they want. That's not going to get them the 24-7 news coverage that Uvalde is getting. Uh, and understandably and justifiably, and that Buffalo got and some of the other places that this has happened. I mean, come on, only five dead, or excuse me, only five shot and only three dead. We need at least ten, you know, you know, ten to fifteen people dead so that we can really go after the Second Amendment again. Uh, they're angry. 
that there was a good guy with a gun there, especially considering the fact that the shooter was stopped by somebody using the exact same type of weapon. And I don't mean an AR, but I mean just a gun, a firearm. That he was carrying legally, a 22-year-old hero was carrying legally because of constitutional carry in Indiana. But critics are, are angry. The far left... That, that wants to see more dead bodies and gun violence in order to, you know, decry gun violence and thus confiscate guns. They're livid because the term Good Samaritan. CBS4 traffic anchor Justin Kohler hit Twitter yesterday and said the term Good Samaritan came from a Bible passage of a man from Samaria who stopped on the side of the road to help a man who was injured and ignored. I cannot believe we live in a world where the term can be equally applied to someone killing someone. My God, end quote. So in, in, in the, the mind of a rabid leftist, the right thing for this 22-year-old constitutional caring uh, um, uh, individual, the right thing for him to do would have been to stand, in, you know, cowering in a corner somewhere, hoping he doesn't get shot, because it wouldn't be a nice thing to do to shoot somebody who's in the process of shooting a bunch of other people. That's not a good Samaritan. A good Samaritan would have stood by and watched it happen. Kohler's comment comes after a gunman opened fire at the suburban Indianapolis shopping mall, killing three people before he was gunned down by a man legally carrying a pistol. Under the new constitutional carry law in Indiana, by the way, congrats to the legislature of Indiana and the governor of Indiana for signing the constitutional carry uh, law. That's the only reason this worked out the way that it did. Greenwood Mayor Mark Myers credited the man with saving several lives by killing the shooter, saying they were grateful for his quick action and heroism. Someone we are calling the Good Samaritan was able to shoot the assailant, said the mayor. I'm grateful grateful for his quick action and heroism in this situation. But other critics joined Kohler in criticizing the man's actions, despite him saving Lord knows how many lives. Comedian John Fuglesang, and if you haven't heard of him, he's probably a good reason, neither have I, the Good Samaritan paid for an unknown immigrant's health care out of pocket. The Good Samaritan did not shoot anyone. Jesus was not a fan of killing for any reason, including self-defense. But if these amosexuals had ever read the Bible, they couldn't support the GOP or the NRA. Wow. So the only thing that you can do in situations like this is ask these far-left gun-hating nut jobs to put themselves in the situation. You, your family, your wife, your children, maybe your mom and dad are in that mall food court area, and a shooter is ripping and just firing randomly at everybody he finds. And you see a guy on the other side of the room or on the other side of the food court who's got a gun, you're telling me you wouldn't want him to shoot that, that, that killer before he got to you and your family? You're telling me you'd be all good Samaritans, don't shoot people here. Jesus is against killing for any reason. So if, these, if this guy kills us, well, that's just the way it's meant to be. No, don't shoot him. That's what you're telling me? Get the living hell out of here. Shannon Watts far-left anti-gun activist, founder of Moms Demand Action, said, quote, I don't know who needs to hear this, but when a 22-year-old illegally, you love how they just, just completely ignore the facts 
and tell brazen lies because he was a legal carrier. But she writes, illegally brings a loaded gun into a mall and kills a mass shooter armed with an AR-15 after he already killed three people and wounded others is not a ringing endorsement for our implementation of the Second Amendment. End quote. Please allow me to retort. It is absolutely a ringing endorsement for the implementation of the Second Amendment. Because the Second Amendment exists for us to defend ourselves, whether it be against individual criminals or against a radical, tyrannical government. That is precisely what it is for. And the fact that there was a constitutional carry law passed and signed in the state of Indiana allowed this 22-year-old who learned how to shoot from his uh, grandfather, he says... He's not trained. He's not a police officer. He's not a security guard. He learned how to shoot from his grandfather, carries for self-defense. The fact that he was allowed to do that because of the Second Amendment is why there are not more dead people in a mall right now. Because in case you have forgotten, criminals don't follow laws. If the guns were outlawed, the criminal would still have his gun. The only person who wouldn't would have been the law-abiding individual who saved lives there. Elijah or Elisha, and I've heard the name pronounced both ways, Dickin, is the 22-year-old hero. 22 years old. He saw the, the, the mass shooter going into the bathroom at just before 5 p.m. and then exited at 5.56 p.m. Apparently he was either planning or, lo- or loading up or whatever it was he was doing, maybe having second thoughts. But after about an hour in the bathroom, he came out. At 5.57, Dickin began shooting at the attacker, causing the attacker to attempt to flee back to the bathroom, but he never made it. Instead, he collapsed to the floor. Dickin, the hero, had fired 10 rounds at the attacker, hitting him an unreported number of times, causing the attacker's death. This young 22-year-old man is a hero, and so are the legislators and the governor in Indiana that passed and signed that uh, constitutional carry bill into law. This is precisely what it is about. This is precisely what the Second Amendment is for. And the left cannot stand it. Tweeting things like, the perpetrator shot five victims. You think that's deterrence, huh? Well, considering the fact that he could have shot 50 people, you better believe it was a deterrence. Considering the fact that he's now dead, yes, that's a pretty good deterrence. It's pretty clear when someone stops somebody from killing a whole bunch of other people that that firearm was used for good and deterred an individual. And you want to know you want to know what the strongest the strongest point here is that mall like every other mall probably had the gun-free zone sign sticker on the front doors of it. Probably has that gun-free zone Unless, of course, you're a constitutional carry holder like the individual who saved countless lives. All right, I welcome you to join us. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Right after the news on AM 1420, The Answer. Informed among the uninformed. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. 
Okay, 939, let's continue on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. I will have phone lines open here for you still, 216-901-0945. We're going to be guest-heavy starting at the top of the hour, so um, if you want to get in, this is a good chance to do it. Again, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. So there was uh, the obvious story that I was just talking about, you know, and the left just livid, really upset that a good man with a good guy with a gun, a good Samaritan, if you will, saved a bunch of lives because that does not advance their narrative at all. Only dead bodies advance their narratives. It's extremely obvious. This is the way they operate. And if somebody gets in the way of that, they're mad, and they're literally criticizing the shooter uh, and criticizing the notion that a good guy with a gun can stop um, shootings. So the AP jumping on board here, this was literally, I was just made aware of this by my producer a minute ago. There's an article in the AP News, rare in U.S. for an active shooter to be stopped by a bystander. And they break this down, and they talk about the number of shootings that have, that have uh, uh, plagued this country in, in recent years in terms of mass shootings. And they talk about what a small percentage of them, percentage of them are shop, uh, stopped rather by, um, by uh, citizens or civilians with guns. And that is not the point. That is not the point. The point is that a good guy with a gun stops these every single time, not 10% of the time or 15% of the time or 50% of the time, but 100% of the time. Nobody said they had to be civilians. Sometimes the good guy with a gun is a cop, and that's going to be the vast majority of these cases. When the police show up with guns, mass shooters stop shooting, or they continue shooting and shoot themselves, or they shoot at the cops and then the cops shoot and kill him. Either way, or they drop their gun and run. That's how this works every single time, whether the good guy with the gun is, uh, is in a uniform or whether it's a 22-year-old shopper the way it was in uh, Indiana in the Greenwood Mall is irrelevant. The good guy with the gun shows up and the bad guy with the gun stops or dies. It's just that simple. So it's a m- very simple question, and this is what I would like to ask the AP who wrote this big, you know, 800-word article talking about how, you know, you know, bystanders stopping mass shootings doesn't happen very often. I would like to just ask them, what is the best-case scenario? that they waited for the police to arrive, how many more bodies would there be stacked up on top of one another in that mall in Indiana on Sunday if they had to wait for the police to get there? And by the way, that's assuming the police do their jobs. You know, there's a lot of criticism right now, and justifiably and rightfully so, of the Uvalde police officers who did... I, I still can't understand what the heck happened with that situation. Still don't get it. Cowardice... Uh, a lack of proper orders, I, I have no idea. But we all know that's an outlier. We all know that as a one-off. That is not the way these things happen. Police officers in mass shooting situations put themselves on the line every single time, and many of them get hit before they actually take down the shooter. But it, my point is, do you wait for the police officer to get there, police officers to get there? How many more people are shot in that interim? I don't care if the police are 60 seconds late. Or, or two minutes later, or three minutes later, or seven minutes later, more people are going to die than if somebody inside is able to take them out in seconds rather than in minutes. That's the reality. So this rare in U.S. for an active shooter to be stopped by a bystander is a complete misrepresentation of the facts. And by the way, there would be a lot more of those bystanders able to stop mass shooters in public situations like this if every state had what these 22 states do, and that is the constitutional carry law. 
like Indiana does. That's why Elisha Dickens, uh, Dickin was able to have that weapon in that mall and stop this shooter. That's the only reason it worked. There would be a lot more of those if people were actually out allowed to do it. There are statistics, by the way, that bear out what I'm talking about. Statistics that show as gun sales rise year over year, the more gun sales rise, the lower the uh, uh, homicide rate is in those cities in which those rises occurred. When people, when let me rephrase, when evil tries to commit mass murder, they like to have soft targets. I don't like to call them people because they're kind of subhuman. That's why I rephrased it. When evil tries to commit mass murder, they like soft targets. They don't. They really like shooting at people. They don't like being shot back at. You understand? That's a very important point to remember. They don't like being shot back at. They enjoy a disarmed or an unarmed populace so that they can shoot with impunity until the cops come. That's just how they prefer it. The more firearms that are sold, the more uh, cities and towns or businesses that welcome concealed carry, the less chance there is that somebody is coming into that business and trying to commit a mass murder. That's just the reality of it. By the way, none other than the FBI lends credence to the good guy with a gun. I'm going to even call it a theory. Reality. In a 2018 report released by the FBI, they provided detailed information regarding active shooter incidents in the U.S. In 2016 and 2017, the two years prior to this report, the FBI defined an active shooter as one or more individuals actively engaged in killing or attempting to kill people in a populated area. There were 50 such incidents during the two years covered by the report. An interesting finding is that in 12% of the events, a good guy with a gun intervened and stopped the shooter sometimes without even having to fire a shot. The presence of the gun was enough for the shooter to drop his gun and flee. In all such interventions, the citizens all possessed valid firearms permits. On two occasions, the citizens were able to stop the rampage and detain the shooter until law enforcement arrived without having to fire a shot. In four other cases, the citizens engaged in gunfire with the shooter to stop the killing. In one instance, an armed citizen that was attempting to halt the shootings was wounded. In another, an unarmed civilian tackled the shooter, taking the gun away and holding him at gunpoint until law enforcement arrived. In its conclusion, the FBI stated, quote, Armed and unarmed citizens engaged the shooter in ten incidents. They safely and successfully ended the shooting in eight of those incidents. Their selfless actions likely saved many lives. And while the report did not uh, indicate whether or not the locations were gun-free zones, it appears that at least 23 of the 50 were in areas that prohibited guns, such as schools, government buildings, health care facilities, and churches, etc. The, um, the point here, or maybe the, the, the last point that I'll say about it for now, that I really want you to be aware of, is that in the Indiana situation, in that mall, if there was not a constitutional carry law that had been passed by that state, that mall would have been filled with with probably a few dozen dead bodies before those police could come in and stop this individual. If that law didn't exist, then this 22-year-old does not carry because law-abiding citizens don't break laws. Criminals do. And there would be a lot more dead bodies. Secondly, 
and this will be the last point, the number of people or the number of incidents in which civilians were able to stop mass shooters before the police could arrive using their firearms, while the number, while the percentage is not extraordinarily high, there's a pretty doggone, doggone good reason for it. It's because too many states don't have that constitutional carry law that Indiana does, and too many businesses think that the sign on the window works, particularly in schools. How can a bystander with a gun stop a school shooter when no one in the school building is allowed to have guns? You have to wait until the police arrive. And that is precisely why I and so many others continue to call for armed staff, not forced, but voluntarily. And if volunteers on the staff don't want to get their weapons and carry them and, and, and take the training that is necessary to handle a situation like this, that's when you pony up some of the federal bucks that are being wasted on ridiculous uh, Democrat initiatives and you put a few bucks into uh, security for the schools, and you have armed uh, uh, security guards, plain clothes, make them look like teachers or staffers or administrators or whatever, and you make sure that there is armed protection in those schools. Then you would have many, many, many more of these terrible shootings foiled or stopped before the body count started to grow. While you're waiting for the Lord knows, depends on how far out you are too, right? Inner city schools are one thing. Rural districts in which maybe the police officers are 7, 10, 12, 15 minutes away. You have to have somebody ready and able to respond in a moment's notice. And that's why you need to have, again, voluntary. Nobody is telling the 79-year-old, you know, 40th-year math teacher that she's got to carry a gun and try to to, to engage in a shootout with a, with a mass shooter. No. We're talking about voluntary people who are capable and able and trained. And if not, then you pony up the dough, you get some federal dollars, and you put armed security in the schools. It is the only way. The only way. Let me, say, let me suggest this to you. 19 dead kids and two dead teachers in Uvalde. That number could have been shrunken by... by an enormous number if somebody in that building had been armed and they hadn't waited for the police. And then, of course, the police waited 70-plus minutes before they acted. And again, I'm not going to get into the issues of the police in this one. It has been well chronicled and well documented. They absolutely screwed up in an, in an unfathomable way in this instance. But that's an outlier. That is not a commonality. That is something that happens very, very rarely. In fact, I can't even think of another time. I know the uh, one deputy at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas School in uh, Parkland, Florida, uh, stood outside while the shooting went on, and he, of course, became known as what? The Coward of Broward. But those things are rare, and, and we all know this. We all know the heroism. We all know the oath that police officers take to protect and serve. We all know uh, what they do in these types of situations. But if you don't want to wait for them, then you allow people to be carrying in the school, talking about the armed staffers, excuse me, trained staffers who choose to get that training and to carry the, that firearm. All right, uh, 216-901-0945, 888-281-1110. It's 950, right back on Always Right Radio. Nine fifty four, always right. Radio on AM fourteen twenty. The answer sounding off on the webpage at alwaysright.us. Good morning, Bob. 
so I would be open to a good conservative ticket for 2024. Uh, ideally, I would love it if Donald Trump got back in. I really think he deserves another chance. I think he did win, and he is still the rightful president. But uh, if he was not able to, if he did chose not to run, I would support uh, Governor DeSantis, especially like Mike Pompeo. I um, listen to Jay Sekulow and the ACLJ a lot, their broadcast, and you know they have Mike Pompeo on regularly, um, so I get to hear a lot of his insight. Um, I don't know, uh, Governor Christy Nome. Um, the only thing I remember that she uh, did not uh, uphold or pass a basically a Women's Sports Protection Act or bill in her state um, going against the LGBT, the transgender activism. That was one thing that stood out to me. And then the other thing, I don't know, with South Dakota, I know they are building tons and tons of wind turbines, and I don't know if that's any indication. I'm going to chop this one here, Derek, in Richfield, and I appreciate the call simply because it was a minute and 51-second long call. Uh, try to keep those to under a minute, if you could, please, when you record on Always Right. D- Derek was responding to yesterday's question as Christy Noam runs some ads for South Dakota uh, and for kind of South Dakota tourism at the same time Christy Noam for governor, and at the same time, hey, look at what a great job I'm, job I'm doing. And she is, by the way. Uh, in Iowa and in New Hampshire and South Carolina, primary states all. So we were asking yesterday who you prefer if it isn't going to be Donald Trump. Who would you choose and where do you slot them? And he just said he went DeSantis, Pompeo, then Christy Noem. Here's Tim. Bob, I would like to see Mike Pompeo and Christy Noem as president and vice president. And I'd also like to mention that listening to Charlie Kirk on Friday, he stated that since the federal government is flouting the laws regarding immigration, that the governors of the various states where the Keystone Pipeline would have traversed should go ahead and finish it themselves. And that the governors of the the red states should also drill for oil and ignore the federal government since they're ignoring their own laws regarding immigration. Well, uh, thank Tim, you. Thank you, Tim, in, uh, in uh, North Olmstead. I appreciate that. Uh, to be clear, in many of those red states, they are drilling. It's federal lands that are, that are wildly unexplored. It's federal lands. It's Anwar. It's the Gulf of Mexico off of the coast of Texas. Uh, in Louisiana, those those are the areas that really need to be explored. Those where the leases ha- are where the leases have to be granted by the federal government uh, to get into those areas. Um, but uh, I like your point about Mike, Mike Pompeo too. He is very very high on my list. If it is not to be Donald Trump, funny how the let's just save one life mantra from the forced mask and uh, COVID shot crowd doesn't matter when it's a gun saving that one life. Mike in Cleveland. Brilliant, brilliant, and exactly correct. Isn't that kind of funny? Wear a mask. If it saves one life, it was worth your inconvenience. Well, but he saved Lord knows how many lives in that Indiana mall. But he was he used a gun. He shouldn't have used a gun. That's not a good Samaritan. Unbelievable. Hey, Bob. The other costs that are higher with electric vehicles are insurance costs. I looked it up. 25% more. To insure your electric vehicle. So just get another job, maybe get two, three if you're retired, get back to work. It's true, Dan. 
Thank you, Dan and Parma. Great message there as well. Let me get. Do I have time for one more? Let me get one more. Hi, Bob. Yeah, I'm calling about your recent discussion on electric cars on the radio. It's very interesting that Tesla asked the owners of Tesla vehicles in Texas not to charge their vehicles because of the heat wave, because they're going to overload the electrical grid. Yes, this all makes sense. I told you I got a lot of really good messages on Sound Off after yesterday's show. Some of those were from yesterday's topics. Let's keep it going today as well, particularly since I can't take a ton of calls the rest of this show. I've got a lot of guests coming up here starting after this top of the hour newscast. So go to alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us, leave your message. We'll play them right here on AM 1420 The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two of Always Right Radio is underway at seven minutes after 10 o'clock. It is a Tuesday, the 19th morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2022. If you are tuning in now to hear Peter Kersenow, as so many people do every Tuesday at this hour, my apologies. Peter is again working that old day job as an attorney. Uh, he's in Denver negotiating deals with Teamsters and all kinds of other things. So uh, Peter will be with us tomorrow at 10 o'clock. He'll uh, take a break from his duties as the longest-serving member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights as well. So uh, we'll have Peter tomorrow at uh, 10 o'clock. For now, though, I want to welcome a new guest to our program, somebody I have not yet spoken with. I'm familiar with his work, though, particularly uh, with the John Birch Society. And now he's bringing uh, some very important messages about Joe Biden to Northeast Ohio. He's got some events coming up here this week, including an appearance on Saturday at um, Lisa Woods Medina County Friends and Neighbors uh, uh, biweekly event, which, of course, I absolutely love. I love the folks there. And uh, Art Thompson is going to be the guest speaker there and uh, in addition to some other places. Now, Art Thompson is the former CEO of the John Birch Society. He has held virtually every volunteer and staff position in the society. He is also the author of several very important and successful books, including International Merger by Foreign Entanglements, To the Victor Go the Myths and Monuments, and the new one is the one that we're going to talk about now, the new one that shines a spotlight on uh, on Joe Biden and the danger that he represents. It's called Benedict Biden, Water Carrier for the New World Order. For world or country, where does he stand? Art Thompson joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer, to talk about it. Good morning, Art. How are you, sir? I'm well, thank you. It's good to have you on board. So, um, I mean, I'm I'm just so intrigued by the title itself, particularly with what we have seen in in just the last six months with respect to Joe Biden and some of the policies that he seems to be embracing and some of the foreign policy that he seems to be endorsing. There are many of us who think that he is just a if he wasn't always a globalist, he has become a globalist because of the puppet strings uh, by which he is being dangled. Now, you have argued in your book that he is not necessarily being being led around by other individuals, that he is what, you know, what he looks like here. Can you tell us more? Yes, I wrote the book because I got tired of hearing the, the idea that he was taking orders from some mysterious bunch of people just outside the Oval Office 
or uh, making mistakes, uh, so on, so on, so on, and so forth. Because the thing that has gotten uh, to me over the years is that no one who has ever run against Biden has used his his own published words against him in the uh, in the campaigns. They're devastating. They're treasonous to to put one word on it. And since the day he got married to Jill, if you get if you understand where he was married, the significance of where he was married, and where he had had his honeymoon, you don't need to know anything else about the man. You got your answer right there in a nutshell. Well, See we want happened. people we we want people to buy the book and read the details there. So I don't want you to give the whole thing away. But can you give us a little bit of a hint as, uh, on that part about where he married her and what the circumstances were? Well, he honeymooned behind the Iron Curtain. That's that's telling. Yes, just like Barry Sanders. But the difference was Barry Sanders was Bern, Bernie, Bernie Sanders, or Bernie Sanders. But but. Uh, Biden was. He was already in the United States Senate at the height of the Cold War. Mm-hmm. Any honeymoons behind the Iron Curtain? What What is it that makes you it, it makes you bristle a little bit at the suggestion that he is following other orders? Isn't it possible that he can be as radical and globalist in his planning and in his thinking as you're describing, while also working with others who are perhaps particularly at this age where he seems to be so you know, cognitively delayed, or not delayed, cognitively impaired, I guess. Isn't it possible that uh, that maybe it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B? Well, you're, you're right, actually. I mean, the man is failing uh, physically and mentally. There's no question about that. But if you look at what he has written over the years, where he has stated that he wants a new world order, and he defines it in detail what he means by that and and even the titles of his writings have included the the phrase new world order in it like his wall street journal article how i came to love the new world order back in 1992 and they he wants to place everything uh, in our society and our government under the uh the authority of the united nations period everything you, you we go we're, down through banking. Go ahead. No, well, I was going to reintroduce you to tell everybody who you are. Art Thompson is our guest. He is the former CEO of the John Birch Society. He's going to be in town. He's going to be with um, the Monday Night Roundtable crew, George Satari and uh, Dakota Sawyer and Steve Krause on Friday in Twinsburg. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Again, he's going to be on Saturday with uh, Lisa Woods and Medina County Friends and Neighbors. Um Art, when you when you talk about his his new world order and that column that he wrote and his public pledges for support of a, a new world order, I can't help but be reminded of just two weeks ago one of his top advisors in the White House, uh, uh, Brian D, said this: "This is about the future of the liberal world order, and we have to stand firm." Talking about the gas prices and how long the American people were going to have to suffer through the energy prices that we're paying right now. And they basically said, as Joe Biden himself said, as long as it takes. And then uh, Brian Deese went and questioned, how long is that? And he said, well, this is about the future of the liberal world order. Uh, did he say the quiet part out loud there? Well, yes. And see, the thing is that they've got to lower the standard of the United States in order to comfortably merge with the rest of the world. Because we're, 
economically head and shoulder above them all. China's catching up. But just to give you an idea with Russia, Russia is, only has the uh, economy level of the state of Texas. And, but, but we have literally built China into the powerhouse it is. And, and Biden, of course, is, is helping with that. But one of the things that is a chief, uh, uh, slogan within the Biden government, and, and your listeners can check on this on their own, mm-hmm. is build back better. That is his slogan. He even said that, that out in his, his, uh, uh, propaganda pieces during his, his election. Build back better. If you go to almost every website that, ha- that is agenda driven of the United Nations, you will find that that is their slogan. Build back better. It is not Biden's slogan at all. It is a slogan of the United Nations. Well, not only not only the United Nations, but individual nations within the organization. I know the UK, uh, New Zealand's prime minister has used that as well. Uh, a lot of people covered that when he came out with that as his framework for you know his uh, his economic policy. So you're exactly right. It is something the globalists have done, uh, or other global leaders have done. So it's it's not unique to him, and that is telling. Art, let me ask you about this. I I covered with great interest and with a lot of dismay, quite frankly. Uh, the WHO meeting that was held at the World Health Conference about a month or a month or two ago, Michelle Bachman, former congresswoman, was very, very loud and vocal. I had her on about this and some other people as well, in which the Biden administration was eager to surrender decision-making power when it comes to pandemics or health emergencies in our country to the WHO to essentially the United Nations, that he nor any other future president would be making decisions on whether or not lockdowns had to happen or mandated vaccinations or anything else that would surrender the American people's liberty, that we would leave that up to the director of the World Health Organization, to leave it up to Tedros to make that call for our nation and for every other. That's correct. And I've got a chapter on the pandemic in, in, and its use in, in my book. The thing is that they use fear, uh, in order to get people to stand still for more controls, more taxes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm afraid that they're going to continue this pandemic over and over and over again every time that they get into trouble where they need to clamp down, down on the citizens of the United States. It's not impossible they're going to do it again during this next election. Everybody thinks there's going to be a red wave, but uh, I can see little signs that they're they're trying to uh, promote some pandemic where they'll be using all these mail-in ballots all over again. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, we call it the midterm variant. They call it BA5, uh, and they're saying that it is worse than Omicron. It's far more contagious. They're telling people to start masking up again in uh, in indoor settings, and they're going to quickly going to start talking about delaying the start of school and everything. You're everything you're saying. We've been predicting for months that they're not going to allow a free and fair election in November to take away the power that they just got in November of 2020 and every single branch of government. Uh, so I completely concur with that let me ask you this art uh, and again we're talking with Art thompson his new book is benedict biden water carrier for the new world order for world or country um and he's going to be uh, giving some speeches and having some talks and talking to the folks uh, uh this weekend which i'll tell you about in a moment I'm, I'm i'm curious as to how he has managed to keep the moderate label 
and the reputation. You know, when when the left was looking for somebody to run against Trump in 2020, you know, Bernie is a is a socialist. Kamala Harris is a socialist. Elizabeth Warren is a joke. Uh, Cory Booker is a cartoon. I mean, they couldn't find anybody except a bunch of extremists. So they said, well, we're going to have to go back to old, you know, harmless Joe. Harmless Joe is perceived to be a moderate. He's somebody that everybody can get along with. He's not threatening the way some of those other really extremist Democrats are. How has he managed to maintain that reputation if he's as much of a globalist and has been building that repu- or building that resume as a globalist as you're talking about throughout his career? Well, he's done it by zigging and zagging. In other words, whatever it takes to stay in power, that's, that's Biden. And you know he'll he'll switch back and forth uh, based on the the polls, and, and so that's what how he's been able to do it. He makes himself look like a moderate when he really isn't. Uh, he's he's always been corrupt. You know he's become a multimillionaire by simply turning over the the uh, the government check he gets and signing the back of it, which we all know now that there's a lot more to how he got his. His funding than uh, than people realized several years ago, but that's how he's done it. He, whenever whenever someone is astute at gaining power, they don't always stick to the hard line. They they will uh, they will moderate themselves in order to make themselves look like they fit in with society, and and that's what his ability has been over the years is to be able to zig and zag. Uh, in order to keep in power, keep his Senate seat, get into the vice presidency, and then for the presidency of the United States. We're talking to Art Thompson, former CEO uh, of the John Birch Society. His book is called Benedict Biden. You cover in the book... um, why it is no one has revealed these things. You know, you just said he'll play to the polls and he'll pivot and he'll switch and he'll do a lot of dodging and, and changing his stance on things to, to keep himself, uh, you know, viewed as relatively harmless. Um, but you've done the research. You, you've read what he has written. You've heard what he has yes. said. How come none of his opponents ever did? Well, that's a good question. And I, and I, I hesitate to to give the answer as I see it, but but here it goes, and that is that uh, it is controlled opposition. In other words, the opponents that have run against him, uh, particularly on the Republican side, uh, really were not what we would call constitutionalists. Uh, they might have a conservative view here and there. But uh, I I used to work a lot in the Republican Party, and I used to spend half my time fighting my fellow Republicans because they would get up in front and say nice things, but that's all they did was talk and talk and talk and do nothing. And then I began to realize, oh, wait a minute, some of these people really don't want to change things. I could tell you various things that would be unbelievable to your 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 audience, but not everyone who is a Republican is what we think of as Republican. Let's let's notice one thing that when someone is in a district or in a state where they know that they can only be elected on a particular party, in other words, it's a Democrat uh, district or Democrat state 
or vice versa. It's a Republican district or a Republican state. They call themselves whatever it is that is electable. So if I'm uh, a, a liberal, but I want to get into office, the worst thing I can do is call myself a Democrat if I'm living in a Republican area. So I'm going to call myself a Republican. Then what I do is I pull the, the voters. What do they think? And then I base my campaign on what the voter thinks, not necessarily what I think. And so the voter says, oh, wow, uh, this guy's right down my alley. Uh, he, he, he agrees with everything I have to say. And they vote for him. And then they wake up the next day after he's elected and wonder how come this guy went south. He was always south. The problem was that they weren't paying a close, uh, they weren't paying close attention to his, his uh, life history. And, and that's how some of this gets done. That these people aren't necessarily what they say they are when they're running for office. And so a lot of them who've run against Biden haven't really been what you and I would think of as Republican. They, it's something entirely different. Yeah, well, based on recent events and really recent years, um, I think very few Republicans are what we would maybe like to think our Republicans are, that they're conservatives, that they're constitutionalists, that they're originalists, and that they are committed to what this republic was founded upon. Far too many of them are exactly as you described. They are squishy. They will do whatever the, the water, you know, whatever the winds tell them to do, and that includes govern like a Democrat if that's what they feel like they need to keep their own power. Um, last thing for you, Art Thompson. Um, about Biden in your book is called Benedict Biden, Water Carrier for the New World Order. Does he survive the next two years? Does he, you know, I had somebody on yesterday, Josh Hammer, who's a, a Newsweek uh, editor and a, and, a, and a staunch conservative, believe it or not, they allow a conservative to work at Newsweek. Uh, but he, uh, he wrote a column uh, a couple of days ago saying, resign, Joe. Um, he is going to gaff us into World War III. He cannot be trusted to speak on the world stage for American policy because he's going to say something that's going to be something we cannot take back. We don't just laugh at in one of his gaff reels that he's too dangerous. Um, and more and more Democrats are starting to say, we don't want him to run again in 2024. So do you think he even makes it through this first term, or is he going to be forced to resign because of the, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the cognitive issues you discussed? Well, I don't have a crystal ball, but if he keeps deteriorating at the rate he's deteriorating, uh, they may you know, force him to step down. Um, I can only speculate just as much as you can, but I don't know the, the, the firm answer to that question. It's going to depend on, on his health. Well, um, I hope you're working at least mentally on uh, the sequel to Benedict Biden, Communist Kamala, uh, because uh, that may be what we have uh, waiting, <laughs> waiting in the wings. Art Thompson, yeah. uh, uh, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, the book looks fascinating. Benedict Biden, everybody needs to check this out. Water Carrier for the New World Order for World or Country. And you've got a couple of events. I mentioned the uh, good folks from the uh, uh, Monday Night Roundtable that you spoke with, George and Steve and Dakota, are going to have you out in Twinsburg at Brewster's Cafe Bistro on Friday at 11 a.m. And then on Saturday, you're in Medina at the Medina, Medina County Friends and Neighbors. You having a nice time talking to the folks in Northeast Ohio? Yes, and I'll be giving them uh, uh, a real background uh, and, and documenting all of the stuff that I'm going to talk about to them and actually show it to them.
Wonderful. That's why we just wanted to give a little sneak peek, a little preview of that here on the air this morning. Uh, R. Thompson, uh, former CEO of the John Birch Society, a tremendously successful author, and uh, his latest book, Benedict Biden, Water Carrier for the New World Order. Art, thanks so much for the time this morning. We appreciate you coming on. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. God, God bless you, sir. All right, 1026. We'll take a time out here, probably head right to the news. Always right radio on AM 1420, The Answer. the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always Right Radio with Bob France and The Answer. 1036 Always Right Radio continuing on AM 1420 The Answer. Don't forget to check out the webpage alwaysright.us. Getting a lot of great messages on the sound off button. Make sure that you click that and leave a message for us. We'll play it on the radio. That way you don't have to sit on hold waiting for a break between interviews. See what we do there? We're looking out for you. All you got to do is go to uh, alwayswrite.us, and you can leave that message rather than be dialing. By the way, while you're at uh, the webpage, don't forget to check out, check out the top stories. The victory lap for Salem Media, as I talked about in hour number one. The uh, price spikes were Putin's fault. The price is sliding ever so slowly lower over the last three weeks. It's, look what I did for you, says the Biden administration. The hypocrisy is so thick, it's disgusting. Impeachable. Biden administration has sold nearly 6 million barrels of strategic oil reserves to China. To China. International embarrassment, Team Biden's freak show. you got to check that out. Uh, and also, how about this? You think you've heard the worst about the Planned Parenthood response to Roe versus Wade's overturn? A California school board now is calling for, or at least considering, the idea of a Planned Parenthood clinic being constructed on school grounds on campus stop into stop into uh, algebra class at 10 recess at, at noon volleyball practice after school stop in for a quickie abortion before you head home they're literally considering that. All those stories are some of the lead stories right now. You can find them at alwayswrite.us. Let's bring on Shannon Burns now, our good friend from the Strongsville GOP, and also from also from the uh, State Central Committee for the Republican Party, the Ohio Republican Party. We have a huge, huge, uh, huge election coming up, and nobody knows about it. That's because they split the uh, primaries. Thanks to uh, uh, the Ohio Supreme Court and also because people just don't pay attention to the state central committee races. But you need to because it's coming up on August 2nd. We are, what, just, what does that make us here? 13 days away, I think? 13, th- 13 days away from that important election. Shannon Burns, good to have you back on the program. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Bob, and thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it. Looking forward to, uh, to talking a little bit of politics in uh, Northeast Ohio. You, uh, I think though, I thought, I thought it was last time you and I spoke. You said something like, "You expect maybe two to three percent turnout." Um, you know, I, I was talking about maybe eight percent turnout. It's just because of the strange um, division of the primary that had to be done uh, because of the Ohio, you know, the redistricting and the uh, arguments of gerrymandering and so on and so forth by the Supreme Court. This this is even worse than usual, at least in terms of turnout. It's expected to be worse than usual. Nobody comes out for these races very often anyway, but now especially since it didn't coincide with the primaries and the governor's race and the Senate race and everything else, it's probably going to be even fewer, right? I I would look at 
it probably turn out might be a little bit higher in Cuyahoga County than the rest of the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, the county actually did send some communication out, which drove more of our voters to vote absentee than than in other counties. Okay, uh, but it's still going to be extraordinarily low. Uh, you know, like you said, eight ten percent is probably likely if it even gets that high. Cuyahoga mm-hmm. County would be a bit of an outlier there. We're going to be a little bit higher here, like I said, because the Board of Elections did send some. So notice out, so I'm sure several of your viewers, obviously, we've, we've heard you talk about it multiple times, but also probably got that postcard from the, the Board of Elections. So, yeah. But you know, you're right, just a critical election. It's, it's amazing, right, that an election that most people don't even know who the people are on the ballot uh, could mean so much for our state going forward. You know, we went through a, a pretty contentious primary cycle, and it exposed some some challenges that the party has in, in Ohio. Um the party was was the career and modern day party was sort of built uh, by Bob Bennett to combat the Democrats. And, and that's what we're always supposed to be doing. But what would happen since uh, President Trump is so decisively won this state is that we've turned into a red state. Uh, and that's probably going to be the case for the foreseeable future, the next couple elections, at least. And, and that means that primaries are what really matters. And in our party, the state party specifically, has a tradition of trying to quash primaries, trying to eliminate them, have a handful of individuals in Columbus decide who you're going to get to vote for on Election Day. And, you know, that's clearly not the right way to to operate. It's not what's best for the state going forward. Having a good, robust, uh, fruitful primary, I think, is great for us. And that means having rules and following those rules. both of which the state party has a problem with right now. And you, you and I have talked about this many times in the past, that the uh, the rules at the state party are, are really murky at best. And they've decided not to follow those rules hardly ever. And, you know, there's there's candidates all across the Cleveland area that said publicly, that's okay. We're, we're perfectly fine with the chairman of the state party doing his own thing and not following the rules. And, and that's no way to operate a party. No, it's uh, it's absolutely not. Um, I got a uh, a very nice message uh, from a lady who didn't know how to get hold of me, so she called the radio station. Radio station contacted me, and I was able to call her and talk to her. And she just said, "Bob, I am so uh, outraged," uh, and I'm paraphrasing her, so apologies if she's listening. At the um, you know the ORP, uh, I want to do what's right to change the leadership there. The fact that they used uh, or or ignored the rules essentially and uh, and endorsed Mike DeWine, uh, she doesn't like Mike DeWine. Doesn't like what he did. Wanted to see a new face in the governor's race as the uh, as the uh, uh, nominate nominee for the Republican Party. And she said, I I want to change it, but I don't know who to vote for. How do I find out who to vote for? And that's when I contacted you. Uh, and what what message, because you're right, people are going to go, and early voting is going on right now, by the way, and people are going to look, and these names are going to go before their eyes, and they're going to say, I don't know. Which ones are the you know the bad ones that have been practicing some of the tactics uh, and, quite frankly, some of the corruption uh, that we see here? And which ones are the ones who are trying to replace them and reform the ORP? And, uh, you know, that's kind of what you're behind, and that's why I reached out to you, and I want you to kind of tell people how they can find the right names of the reformers, the ones who are trying to erase the corruption and erase the uh, cronyism that exists right now, particularly at the top of the ORP, by reforming the state central committee. Oh, sure. Yeah. I, and, and you're right, Bob. There's definitely 
two sides in this primary on the state central committee, right? You have the folks that are, you know, are aligned with, you know, the swamp in Columbus. They're aligned with, you know, in the, you know, the primary is over and, and we're all ready to move on, <clears throat> but there's still, um, people that run the workings of the party that are aligned with the, the governor currently that want to see things stay the way that they, they were, the way they operated. Um, you know, one of the things you and I talked about before was that this state party <clears throat> on no authority at all decided to give a candidate, in this case, Governor DeWine, um, nearly $2 million, it wasn't quite that much, uh, without being endorsed. He did eventually get endorsed, but without being endorsed, decided to give him both money and in-kind contributions and direct cash contributions. And, you know, that's breaking party rules. And unfortunately, there was no recourse because they owned enough, literally owned, by, by the way, enough votes on the state party uh, to be able to just say, it doesn't matter if we break the rules. Literally, they had a vote uh, where I challenged the ruling of the chair um, and stated that you're clearly breaking party rules. And the committee said, yeah, we don't care. That's literally how they voted. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to help name names on that. And, and there are many conservative organizations around the state, um, whether it's, uh, you know, the, the, the new um, conservative groups that are out there, Ohio Value Voters, um, you know, the, the uh, America, all of the America First groups around the state, essentially have all coalesced around the same group of candidates that are out there trying to reform the state party that are going to focus on uh, changing leadership and developing good bylaws that can be actually upheld and have recourse if they're not upheld in the future. Considering Shannon Burns, what we're talking about is an election. You're going to have to name names. Do it. Name some names of the people that we need to get out of there that are part of the swamp. And I'll, I'll go on the record here as saying these are Shannon's, these are Shannon's views uh, and maybe some people who he's working with, not mine, uh, because I don't know a lot of these names, particularly outside of Northeast Ohio. I don't know a ton of them. Sure. So, so, but what I yep. will say is that I trust Shannon, and so as such, I will take ownership of these recommendations. This is what I sent to the to the caller, the very sweet lady who asked me and said, I don't know what to do. Uh, I, I trust you. Uh, you and I have talked for a very long time about these kinds of things, um, so I feel like what you are giving us, the information you're giving us, the recommendations you're giving us, are in the best interest of the party, which is in the best interest of this, the the the, uh, the Republican citizenry, uh, you know, the population of this of this state. Um, I don't think the current leadership is operating in the best interest of the conservatives who put them in power. I think the leadership right now, uh, both in the Ohio Republican Party and, quite frankly, at the leadership of the two uh, branches of the um, General Assembly, I don't think they're necessarily acting in our best interest. Uh, and that's my opinion and my opinion alone. But as such, I'm asking you for yours on whom we need. Give us some of the names that are the, the most important ones that have to go. Yep, uh, and I'll do one better for you. Is is that uh, Bob? What I'll do is I, I put that document together that I sent over to you. Yep. I'm happy to share that with your listeners. Um, I'll as soon as we're done here today, I'll, I'll go post it on my website, which is just really easy, ShannonBurns.gop. Um, I'll I'll post that, and it, and it shows uh, my preferences and that of of many of the reform leaders within the uh, within the committee currently, um, where we've recognized that there's a lot of good candidates that ran. Uh, but we also knew that we had to pick one because the other side picked a candidate, and they're putting a lot of money in behind their candidates to make sure that their swamp uh, candidates are staying in 
uh, so they can control the party. They can control their interests going forward. We want to control the voters' interests. We want to actually give the voters a, an actual voice. So I'll, I'll list those out to you. But, but I'll, I'll, let me take a moment to just share my opinion of the, the most immediate, near, uh, you know, elect you know, uh, committee members in the listening area, right? So obviously I'm running in the western side of Cuyahoga County. Um, you know, there's, there's a couple guys running against me. One of which, uh, you know, is, is clearly give, give dis- by, if uh, you my- Hey, Shannon, Shannon, give district numbers, yep. too, when you talk about all these. Sure. Yeah, I'm in District 24, um, and that di- that district is all of the west side of Cleveland. Uh, and clearly, there's a, a challenge uh, candidate against me that is supported by DeWine. In fact, as part of his social media, he, he listed about how the, how the governor came to his wedding, and he, I was so proud of that. Um, so clearly, we obviously have that happening in the 24th district. In the 23rd district, which is Parma and most of Cleveland, uh, you've got Jonah Pelton, who is running there. And it's actually an open seat. Uh, he is a great conservative, ran for city council in Parma. And I think Jonah is going to be a great addition uh, to the team overall there. Um, in the uh, 18th district, which but which is... Uh, the, the southeast part of uh, Cuyahoga County and all of Lake County, uh, you've got Jack Boyle, who is running against um, one of the current members. Uh, that current member actually was one of the guys who was proud about how he voted against uh, the, the rules of the party. So that's, that's pretty clear why, why Jack Boyle is the best uh, person there. Um, and then, you know, I think you had a conversation not too long ago, but you know, I have I have a lot of respect. I've always had a lot of respect for the current treasurer of the state party, Dave Johnson, as his role as a businessman and, and as a donor to the party. But once I really got involved, and, and by the way, he represents out in uh, Mahoning County and uh, uh, Carrollton County and um, uh, Columbiana County. You know, Dave unfortunately just hasn't done his job as treasurer. All these issues we have, uh, whether there's actually money missing or not. Uh, ha- just hasn't been resolved yet, and it's his job to do it as treasurer. So he needs to be removed, and Rick Barron uh, should be uh, put in place there. If you if you live out in that area, there, um, you know, right here in Lorain County, unfortunately, uh, the chairman Aaron Dondo um, has been against us on all necessary reform issues. Uh, he came in saying he would be against. Uh, he, he literally told all of us when we voted to appoint him to the position. They'd be against uh, the the uh, flawed endorsement process, and unfortunately, he just lied to us and he voted for the uh, endorsement process, uh, which was proudly you know, so. Proudly so. I, I've had proudly many so. off-air arguments with him that just haven't gone politely, to be quite frank. Um, most well, of which in, was on my what? part because I was very, very angry and very disillusioned by his his uh, support of Paducic and his uh, you know support and love of Mike DeWine and his just complete dismissal of Jim Renacci and the entire campaign to uh, to you know he, he's one of these Republicans, Shannon. You probably know a lot of them who feel like as long as Republicans are winning, we're doing our jobs. It's just you know Mike DeWine's going to win and it's going to be a huge landslide. And never mind the fact that it's not good for the people of Ohio. Look what. 
Mike DeWine did right. in his first term. It's just that, hey, we, we elect Republicans. That's our job, elect Republicans, no matter what kind of Republicans they are. And uh, right. as such, like I said, he, he basically pledges his fealty to Bob Paduchik, uh to the leadership of the URP, and obviously to Governor Mike DeWine. And whatever they want to do, he goes along with like a lapdog, and it really frustrates me. I think he's a nice man. He's a good guy. I've known him for some time. But I've had some very, very strong dis- disagreements with him over the way he and some others have been conducting themselves in this uh, in this party race. Uh, you know, it's a really interesting because it's, it's an example of what also is happening uh, throughout the state because you have all these individuals that, that you know, and, and I don't know what his motivations are specifically, but I do know there's about 14 or 15 um, candidates, or excuse me, now candidates, but then, you know, current members that re- received their pay or their political appointment through the governor's office and then decided to vote for that endorsement process. Um, and I, I'm choosing my words carefully here because I'm past the primary. We all have to be at this point. You know, we can't. We don't have to like the way it turned out. But you know, at this point, it, we are running against a Democrat. Uh, but that being said, the rules matter. And if we're going to skirt the rules for the future, uh, that means that we're going to have another circumstance where uh, the powerful interests are the ones that win and the people don't. And that'll be the future if we don't make changes now. So that you know, as I think about. Uh, you know, all of these other candidates, you, you look at some of the old has-been names of the party of yesteryear, right? You got like Betty Montgomery um, that, that's down in uh, southwest Ohio who has a great uh, candidate running against her. Um, you know, that's a perfect example where it may not be in your listening area, Bob, but you know, here's somebody who, you know, served the state in a, uh, in a, in a way that was uh, very, you know, obviously very helpful to the party, but was she actually conservative? No, no, that wasn't the case. I mean, everyone knew that. That's why she was out of that governor's race in 06, uh, because there was no pathway for her to win. Um, in, in that case, they wanted to make way for their other swamp creature to win there. Um, there's people like that and Joanne Davidson that are on the committee that have no reason. They don't even barely show up to the meetings. Uh, they, their focus is, you know, making money on the liquor control board or whatever they're, they're appointed to by the governor. Um, you know, it, it's clear that they just will do whatever leadership asks them to do. Uh, so I think... You know, I'm happy to share you know, every district. Um, I'll even put a map of all of the districts on my website as well so that everyone, you know, when they take a look at it, no one knows what state Senate district they're in now with, with the new map. So I'm happy to, right. to share that. I think that's helpful. So everyone knows, you know, who they should be looking at in, in each district to help us. And, and what it really comes down to is we recognize there are some districts where there's two or three good conservatives that ran. We really evaluated these candidates. We tried to identify who would be with us, and we picked one. And that's sometimes tough to do. Sometimes people didn't want to do that. But the other side only picked one candidate, right? They're going to get their swamp creature back in, and we can't afford that. If we have that happen, we're going to be in a circumstance, again, two years from now or four years from now when it's the presidential primary and they're picking sides in that or the next uh, gubernatorial or the next Senate primary. We need to have... Uh, a state party that supports the voters, not the special interest. Right. I think that's well said. You know, it's yep. just super quick here because it's already 1054, but <clears throat> looking at the... Um um, looking at the, uh, the the chart or the list of uh, the, the endorsed or recommended candidates that you're going to put on the website. By the way, what's the website again, so people know? It's uh, shannonburns.gop. 
Just and I'll it. make sure those those are up there on the front page uh, here within the next uh, ten or fifteen minutes, so you can go take a look at it on your lunch break. And I just and, wanted and, to uh, print it yeah, out. I just wanted to bring up the one that you mentioned, uh, one of the ones that you mentioned when you mentioned uh, Jack Boyle, because um, Jack told me a story uh, the night of our uh, WHK uh, 100th anniversary uh, uh, celebration event. In fact, he had just gotten the call that day, and he get, had gotten a call from Bob Paduchik. Uh, and I don't know if I told you this story or not, but he called Jack Boyle and said, hey, uh, you know, uh, Jack, you're, you're running against, um, uh, you know, an incumbent there. And he said, well, it wasn't an incumbent when I first decided to run because, you know, everything got switched around. He goes, yeah, but now that it is, you know, you're going to do the right thing, right? He said, what do you mean? He said, you're going to drop out. He said, what do you mean drop out? Why'd I draw, why would I drop out? He said, because you don't run against incumbents. And this incumbent happens to be one of the leading, uh, you know, henchmen, if you will, of Bob Paduchik, uh, you know, who is, yep. is just literally one of his one of his most trusted and reliable uh, individuals uh, who keeps him and, uh, you know, and his his uh, cohorts in power. And and Jack said, well, no, I'm not going to I'm not going to drop out. Of course, you're going to run. Where is it written that you can't run in, in a primary, you know, against an incumbent? Who says? And. um he said, well, don't ever ask me again for this is a quote now, Jack, quoting Paduchik. Don't ever ask me for a favor again. And Jack paused and pondered and said, I don't think I've ever asked you for a favor in my life. And that made him really mad. And he said, well, then just lose my phone number. And he slammed the phone down. That's Bob Paduchik. As relayed to me by Jack on that phone call, he wasn't hiding it. He didn't care if I publicized it. He even spoke about it in a speech he gave. That's Bob Paduchik. Uh, this is the guy in charge of the Ohio Republican Party who led the corruption, who, who uh, indeed uh, uh, broke the rules by, by giving funds to Mike DeWine before he was even an endorsed candidate, and then, of course, blocking out the press whenever there was going to be the, the, the meeting that was held in order to, uh, to give the endorsements. All of these things that Bob Paduchik does that are just so repugnant and so disgusting um now he's trying to control the you know the right of people to actually run in this thing so that's why these things are so important yep. i just want people to understand that's right. and that's why i want people to go to your webpage then shannonburns.gop look at the list of recommended candidates find out what district you're in and then uh go ahead and vote for the right people and by the way make sure you vote for the right conservative people in the uh, state house races as well uh i gave a that's speech right. i gave a speech this past weekend uh just a short one at uh the uh, totally engaged Americans, uh, great, Amer- great, um, great American family picnic, uh, 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 hosted by Kirsten Hill and others. And I'm a huge supporter of Kirsten Hill. And uh, I called out Nathan Manning. The, there are too many liberally driven Republicans, um, in my view, who are sitting in the Ohio State House who won't do things like vote to support two, uh, 248 medical freedom uh, and autonomy. You know, all of these different things. All of those people have to go. He's one of them. And I said it. He was in the room. I didn't know he was in the room, but I said it, and I'll say it again on the radio now. you got to get rid of these people and vote for people like Kirsten Hill, among others. So it's That's crucially right. important that people get out there and know who the true conservatives are in these races for State Central Committee, ORP, and uh, and for the General Assembly. Yep. I couldn't agree more. I mean, this is an interesting opportunity statewide because of such low turnout. <clears throat> Activists, conservatives, people that make think that their vote doesn't matter as much as it does are going to make a difference 13 days from now because if you have in some of these districts 13 excuse me uh, three four percent turnout if you bring 50 people from your town out to vote you could change the entire election and that's that's what we're up against here you know and and, and i'll tell you what um before we get done bob i do want to 
if you if you give me the privilege to, I'd just love to talk one other uh, small topic. I don't know if I have time for a new topic. I've got 42 seconds before the top of the hour. Okay, then, then, then how about we just do this? Strongsville GOP is having a judicial salute, and judges in Cuyahoga County specifically, this is our best opportunity to take back some of these corrupt uh, activist judges in Cuyahoga County. I'd love for everyone to come out on July 31st to our family day um, and meet these judges. It's so important because we're going to win big in November. I want to make sure that the judges win in Cuyahoga County as well. I like that. I like that. Where's the, where's the uh, picnic on the 31st? So it's going to be in Memorial Park in North Royalton. I'll make sure it's up on our website as well. It's out, it's out on strongsvillegop.org. It's Beautiful. from 1 to 5 on Sunday the 31st. I'm glad you squeezed that in there. Shannon Byrne, Strongsville GOP, thank you very much. Uh, I'll tell everybody to go to that website so they can get all this information that they need. ShannonBurns.gop. Thank you, Shannon. Have a great weekend, or a great week. Thank you, Bob. All right. right. It's 11 o'clock. News time now. We're coming back. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now, 11 minutes past 11. A little late coming in because we are a little late getting out. My apologies for that. Uh, But not for talking to Shannon Burns a little bit longer. Some of that stuff is very important. Don't forget that second primary of our season is uh, 13 days away. And early voting is underway now. Go to your local board of elections and cast your vote in those state state central committee races and in the state house in the Ohio Senate uh, races. Um, Extraordinarily important. Turnout is going to be very low. Literally every vote is crucial to uh, making that reform that we need so desperately in the Ohio Republican Party. It is literally crucial. And when you're only talking 2, 3, 4, 5% turnout expected, seriously, 95% of the people aren't going to bother. Your vote matters more than ever before. So if you get it and you understand it, share it with people who are like-minded and get them out there because yours could be the vote that makes the change and makes the difference. All right. Um, I want to pivot now a little bit. And... Um, You've probably heard the term social credit scores, right? 
We've talked about the social credit system before. They do it in China. It is uh, simply oppressive what they do to the people in China. Um, they literally will, will punish individuals or red flag them for special scrutiny if they don't agree with the uh, government's view, the Chinese Communist Party's view on issues like climate change and gender fluidity or white privilege and other things. That's the kind of thing you expect in a, you know, in a communist nation. It's not the kind of thing you expect in a constitutional representative, uh, representative republic. And that's what we are. But that's where we're headed. I read a piece in Jack Windsor's uh, Ohio Press Network from Lisa Logan, who is the social-emotional learning advisor to Utah Parents United. And she's also the host of a YouTube channel, uh, Parents of Patriots. Uh, in addition to being a mom, she is a secondary education or has a secondary education teaching credential in phys ed and dance. She serves on the board of a local charter school, which is not surprising, and that's good. Uh, she represented, uh, or excuse me, presented for Freedom Works in D.C., and she's been on a ton of national podcasts, including Dennis Prager's Prager University. And Lisa Logan joins us now here on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Lisa, thank you for making the time uh, to join us here in Cleveland. How are you this morning? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. It's a pleasure. Um, such an informative piece that I read uh, in uh, in the Ohio Press Network, which I assume they picked this up, and this is something that was syndicated. Um, but just this is something people have kind of mentioned in passing when we talk about the threat of critical race theory being a part, being a being a a regular part of school curricula. Uh, when we talk about social emotional learning, we talk about social justice initiatives, the end of meritocracy. Um, and, and whether or not you are an active anti-racist, in addition to not just being a racist, all of these things going to contribute to your social, social credit score, including your willingness to comply with government requirements or edicts or suggestions like getting vaccinated a certain number of times against various threats. All of these things that could go into a social credit system. And Lisa, your piece kind of led me to believe that we are a heck of a lot closer to that um then then maybe a lot of people realize that the emergence of ESGs which uh, you you describe as uh, and very important uh, as the uh, environmental social and corporate governance scores along with social emotional learning has put us on the precipice of a very dangerous place can you t- tell us more right well I, it is true so many parents don't understand what is happening in schools today and one of one of those things is the collection of their children's social-emotional learning scores through surveys and stuff done like through, uh, for instance, Panorama Education uh, and the teaching of social-emotional learning as a way to measure their child's compliance to them adopting these different mindsets offered to them through social-emotional learning. And I think a lot of people don't see that what we're doing here is um, it goes into the statewide longitudinal data system uh, those systems follow them from preschool through age 20. And we have people advocating to link workforce policy and education policy. So what we're seeing now with the social credit system with ESGs and businesses will come to pass also through their kids through social-emotional learning scores. And, and social, let's, let's do some term definition here for those who don't quite understand exactly what social-emotional learning means. Right, so social-emotional learning was originally brought into schools as an intervention program for children who really needed it. Most kids develop these skills in their early years, just growing up 
with with a functional family, right? They, they see these interactions, they build healthy relationships, they know how to manage their emotions, etc. But uh, in 2020, and a little before that, actually, there were a lot of initiatives and grants offered to states to bring social-emotional learning into schools as a part of a school-wide intervention. So instead of kids who really need it, they're teaching it to all children as a mental health program. And uh, what is even more interesting is that the organization that sets the five core competencies as well as the definition for social-emotional learning, what they're supposed to be teaching in schools, changed the definition in 2020 to be called transformative social-emotional learning. And that is why SEL is now a Trojan horse for things like critical race theory, teaching your kids that, you know, you know, gender is fluid, uh, that uh, they should become social justice activists for particular racial and gender causes like LGBTQA+, et cetera. And, uh, and this is why um, this measurement of skills is so dangerous because it, unless they adopt these worldviews, uh, there's going to be a real problem in the future. What kind of problems are kids facing if they don't adopt those world? In, in fact, not just the future. Let's stay in the schools. Let's stay where they are now as this, as this gets expanded, as you say, to transformative social-emotional learning. If the kids who are not, um, maybe, you know, maybe they're being raised a little bit differently, in other words, correctly, by parents who are teaching them the right things and teaching them the reality uh, of this country and of this culture and of their lives and of the Constitution and so forth, if kids don't willingly acquiesce to what the um, teachers and, uh, and those who are, who are evaluating them uh, want them to, what kind of trouble are they in? What are they facing? Well, first of all, I think it, it's, it's very troubling for the kids. Uh, the kids who are, are taught different things with their family and, and cultural beliefs have a real uh, state of cognitive dissonance when they're taught these these other things. They're told to reject their family values. They, they're told to view their parents as roadblocks. Uh, and and so it, it creates a lot of um, emotional and psychological trauma in these kids to, to have to, to question these things in the classroom. Uh, they also, you know, the part of a lot of these programs um, and in, involving the one specifically that I looked at called Second Step, mm-hmm. you know, they throw out these different terminology. Do you believe that, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z, right, these political views, and they have to vote with their bodies, right, in a, in a setting with their peers. And so they're, they're facing scrutiny for their values, attitudes, and beliefs, which should be protected um, in the classroom environment. And so uh, I think that's the real danger is, too, of just currently, uh, of kids being forced to question their beliefs as well as being scrutinized by their own peers and teachers. Yeah, and not just scrutinized, but more importantly, ostracized. You know, social ostracization if they don't just follow the sheep, if they don't follow the crowd and do exactly what everybody else is doing, or face embarrassment by the teachers. You know, we continue to see more and more of these preschool teachers and uh, lower primary grade teachers posting their views on all of these, particularly the the gender fluidity things, on, on TikTok. Um, and they're talking about how all of my fourth grade or four year olds rather in my preschool know that I'm non-binary. Uh, and then, a, you know, a fourth grade teacher, an eighth grade teacher. I've got seven of my 28 students are identify as trans. Well, no, you don't. Uh, these are people, these are young, impressionable children that you have intentionally coached and recruited and groomed to be something like that because you're telling them that that's what it's cool to be. Um, and these kids are impressionable. They follow the trends. Uh, they want to make sure their teacher is happy. They want to make sure that they're like their co, you know, their peers, as you say. And, uh, and what do they do? 
together, they all agree, we're not telling mom and dad about this. So mom and dad don't have a right or a role in raising their kids anymore. It's literally what the, you know, what the Marxist, uh, you know, um, doctrine calls for in breaking up the nuclear family and allowing the, the, uh, the community, if you will, led by the teachers to raise the kids. You're right. If anybody else did that in society, if anybody else came up to your kid and talked to them about sexuality, uh, we would be putting that person in prison. And so you'd have to ask, why is it acceptable for these teachers to be discussing sexuality with these young kids in these classrooms? It's not. And it definitely veers into the parents' role of teaching their kids what their values, attitudes, and beliefs should be. Right. We're talking to Lisa Logan. If you just turned it on, uh, Lisa Logan is the social-emotional learning advisor to Utah Parents United. And she hosts a YouTube channel you should check out called Parents of Patriots. How have you not been canceled by YouTube yet, by the way? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, <laughs> seriously. Me both know, but, but, but really, I, I am uh, putting a lot of stuff out there um, and revealing their plans of how they, they literally plan to take over our country. You know, PragerU, and I know you've been on PragerU, uh, PragerU has been canceled by YouTube countless numbers of times, and they have never put up anything nearly as aggressive as you are, at least in this article, if any of your work on YouTube is, is similar, and the Parents of Patriots is similar. Uh, so, I mean, it's amazing that they haven't caught on to you yet, because the, the overlords at Google slash YouTube are certainly going to start paying attention the more you start reaching, uh, the more people you start reaching. Um, <laughs> Hopefully they're not listening to this show, Bob, and, and decide to do it later this afternoon. I know, I know. Well, and you know what? If they do, it, it's a badge of honor, and you just have to find another way. You'll find a way to rumble your way to, to, the, to, to the parents' minds and, uh, and to let them know what's going on. Uh, let's move on from the schools to the workforce here. Um, you write, one of the most pressing needs of the workforce, according to the World Economic Forum, is emotional intelligence or an EQ score. How do they measure that? Right. Well, you know, I got tipped off on this, actually, by meeting with our governor's wife, um, I came to her, showed her all of the different ways that social-emotional learning through Second Step had these Marxist and critical race theorists and, you know, gender fluidity in it. Um, and she looked at me and she said, you know, my definition of social-emotional learning is not your definition. Um, my initiative wants to focus on emotional intelligence. And when I looked that up and understood that as one of the WEF or World Economic Forum's major uh, skills they want to cultivate um, for the 21st century, for the workforce, I, I, huge red flags went up for me. Um, and really, it, it's, it's to create a, a culture of inclusion in the workforce. So now uh, companies are saying, you know, we, we don't care as much about your job history and where you went to school and your grades. We're going to hire candidates based on emotional intelligence and how well that they're going to work with their peers and um, all of these soft skills. And so that's why the push for social-emotional learning is so huge is that um, – Schools are states now as a part of this, this initiative. Um, when they, I mentioned this in my article, when they belong to something like, for instance, a CASEL Collaborating States Initiative where they're linking education and workforce policy through an SEO lens, um, this is what they want to teach the kids in order to prepare them for the workforce of the future. Um, it's, it's an astounding uh, thing to consider that this is what they're trying to push on kids. And now let's talk about what they're trying to push on employers, too. I want to talk about the ESGs. You talked about the rise of the environmental, social, and corporate governance scores. The push here is to make employers not just not discriminate against people, as you know the 1964 civil rights law requires. You can't discriminate based on race or, or this or that or the other thing. 
but they want specifically to encourage hiring based on race. Encourage hiring based on race, sexuality, sexual orientation, gender identity, and on down the line, so that the every every workforce looks more like the community, looks more like the demographics of the national populace or maybe the community populace. But Lisa, isn't hiring to in, make sure that the workforce looks more inclusive by definition discriminatory against somebody who is going to be rejected because they might not have the right quota that they, they, they might they might you know uh, mess up the ratio so that it doesn't look quite like the uh, community does uh, exactly hiring based on race instead of um, merit is highly racial um, and it, it's it's racist um, I, I can even say uh, my husband um, works for a large organization I'm not going to say which one but he was told to try to figure out, based on their resumes that was handed to him, which one was an ethnic or, for instance, a black uh, individual. And he could be graded as a manager uh, based on if he hired by race or not. And one would think that he should be graded poorly if he hires based on race, but rather he would be scored higher if he, hire, if he hires and makes those decisions based on right race, which is, which is direct discrimination in violation of the Civil Rights Act. Absolutely. That is, that is a remarkable thing. And then the last thing, all of this stuff is being pushed by organizations and groups, but has it been embraced by government? Is this something that the federal government will look at employers like your husband's employer or any of these schools that we are talking about and um, and essentially either approve by way of more funding or disapprove by perhaps less funding to various efforts and initiatives uh, based on these social credit scores that we're talking about? Oh, the government is completely bought in. The Department of Education actually during the COVID uh, crisis uh, put out a paper and also <laughs> through the American Rescue Plan and ESTRA funds provided a ton of funding. I believe it's $122 billion so that schools can adopt these social emotional learning programs. I believe that they know exactly what they're doing um, in putting these into schools as, as they partner with the organization, CASEL, that I mentioned earlier that uh, changed their definition of social emotional learning. They're actually advocating for the adoption of programs that promote transformative social emotional learning. Lisa Logan, last thing, I introduced you as being on the board of a local charter school, so I have to ask you about school choice. Any uh, any headway there in, in Utah where you are? To, what state did Oh, Arizona, I think. Was it Arizona that just recently actually passed a law that was signed by the governor that allows the state dollars to follow the student and not the uh, school and uh, take them if they want to get their education at a charter school or in, or in a private school, they can do that? So they did, and actually you'd be interested in my stance on school choice, Bob, because what I have found through much digging as well as what I've done with social-emotional learning is that school choice is the way that they actually plan to get a monopoly on the education system. All of the stuff that I just talked about is all based around data collection of our students, right? And these bills allow for assessments into private education sectors that are usually protected from government initiatives. And that money, that public money following the students into these private education options will actually bring more government regulation and more of these same initiatives. Wow, that is interesting, and I'm glad I asked you, and I think maybe I just uh, uh, came up with a reason to have a follow-up conversation with you so we can talk more <laughs> about about school choice. But for now, we'll focus on social credit, the social credit system uh, and the emergence of ESGs. Uh, this is uh, incredibly important. I'll urge everyone to read this. 
uh, piece uh, in the Ohio Press Network by Lisa Logan, and then maybe follow that YouTube account, Parents of Patriots, while it's still online. Parents of <laughs> Patriots. Lisa, thank you for writing what you wrote. Thank you for the work that you're doing and for bringing this to us. We appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. All right, there's Lisa Logan. Read that piece, and uh, I think I already have it posted to, uh, let me double check. Yeah, it's on one of the top stories right now, under the top stories heading on alwayswrite.us, my website, alwayswrite.us. You can click and read that article for yourself. We'll be right back. Liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Always right radio with Bob France on the answer. Eleven thirty-eight now. Last segment of Always Right Radio on AM fourteen twenty. The answer because we take you right. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> a little froggy. A little froggy. My apologies. Uh, take you right up uh, till almost the end of the hour. We let Bill O'Reilly take it home with the O'Reilly Report. Um, I want you to know that up on the website right now, we've got some very, very important stories, including links to some of the things that we were just talking about, including the interviews today. So right now, if you look on the uh, top part of the page on the left side, you'll see a link to Lisa Logan's article, SEL plus ESG equals social credit system, also to Shannon Burns' website, to get that list of recommended and endorsed candidates in the um upcoming GOP state central committee races. Uh, of course, that election is officially on August 2nd, but the uh, 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 early voting is underway now, so you can go to your elections board and go ahead and do it. So both of those are right there featured, as is yesterday's article by uh, Josh Hammer for Newsweek, uh, headlined, Resign Joe, speaking and aiming at uh, Joe Biden, and then also going back to last week. We'll keep these up there for about a week at a time before we start taking them down and replacing them with new stuff. But those articles specifically related to interviews are under the head- headings uh, heading from the show. Under today's top stories, that's where I like to give you like literally the best of of, of everything in terms of um, what the latest news is. Uh, and the latest news story that I literally updated during our break, the Manhattan District Attorney, far-left, George Soros-funded prosecutor Alvin Bragg, who, just like George Gascone uh, in uh, L.A. and obviously the deposed... Uh, um, Chesa Boudin in in San Francisco and uh, so many others, Uh, far-left, pro-crime, anti-victim DA Alvin Bragg. Now, you remember the story of the New York City bodega worker, uh, a 60-year-old, I think he was 60 years old-ish, bodega worker who was attacked and assaulted behind his cashier's desk when one customer came in and was refused a purchase because she didn't have enough money on her EBT card. That's her welfare card. She got so mad she went out, this welfare recipient, and got her boyfriend wearing what was reported to be around a $350 shirt. This welfare worker was so mad, or excuse me, welfare uh, recipient, so mad she got her boyfriend. The boyfriend came in and didn't say, here's the money for the chips she wanted. The boyfriend said, how dare you tell her no, went behind the cashier's desk and essentially started assaulting and beating up the bodega worker. 
the bodega worker, realizing he was in serious jeopardy, pulled out his knife and stabbed the man who was attacking him to death. Everybody who saw the video saw the same thing. We saw a classic case of self-defense, except Alvin Bragg, who charged, because he's anti-victim and pro-criminal, charged the bodega worker with murder. Charged him, gave him a a high six-figure bond. Again, this is a guy who believes in no-cash bonds. But gave this particular victim a high-cash bond until a judge, uh, and sent him to Rikers Island until a judge reduced that. And the judge reduced that to $50,000, allowing him to get out, posting 10%. And ever since then, it's been a question of, is Alvin Bragg going to push this? Is he really going to charge this victim for defending himself in his life? We finally got the update. Jose Alba will not face murder charges, second-degree murder charges, for defending himself in this case. Jennifer Siegel, assistant district attorney under Bragg, issued a motion to dismiss the second-degree murder charge against Alba, provided a copy to his attorney, saying, quote, Following an investigation, the people have determined that we cannot prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant was not justified in his use of deadly physical force. As such, the people will not be presenting a case to the grand jury and for the reasons provided in the attached memorandum, hereby move to dismiss the complaint. So it's a good outcome. That did not need to be as complex, and it did not to leave me. It did not need to place this man for the last week or week and a half or however long it's been now. It did not. He did not need to be in a state of flux about whether or not he was about to lose his freedom. He he, he spent I don't know how many days in Rikers Island, which is not exactly a pleasant place to stay, for no reason whatsoever. So the good news is it's a good outcome. The bad news is it took massive public pressure from people like you and people like me and anybody who got on social media, anybody who talked about this on radio, anybody who called shows or, or, or propped up shows that were criticizing this like Tucker Carlson's and others by watching them. It's the only way this was going to work out. If we didn't make a ton of noise, this far left anti uh, victim and pro-criminal, particularly pro-African-American criminal because of criminal justice equity, which is what they are shooting for. There's no doubt this, by the way, this immigrant Hispanic man who would have been victimized, Jose Alba, uh, would, would absolutely be facing murder charges right now. So there it is. That's the update. It's what we've all been waiting to hear. And oh, by the way, as long as we're on it, just to throw another little bit of a, just another piece to you here. You know the GoFundMe people who are just, I I don't have time to describe the GoFundMe people. GoFundMe refused to allow a GoFundMe account to be created for the defense of Jose Alba, the victim in this case. But they have greenlit a fundraising account for the Minneapolis shooter who was uh, shot and killed by police as he shot up an apartment complex, leading to... An outrageous, an outraged rather, woman uh, screaming at Black Lives Matter for defending him. That's where we're going to leave it today. Thanks to my guests, thanks to my crew, and thanks to you. Everybody say it together. There it is. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.